Hi everyone, welcome back to the Soldiers of Cinema podcast, episode 51. I am Colin McFader, and as always, I'm joined by Clark Coffee. How is hey, your hey, day hey. going? Hey man, my day is going pretty well. How about you? It's going, it's going well. It's, it's haven't done much other than this, but um, you know, <laughs> nothing to complain about. Uh, I, I was doing my taxes. Uh, oh, there you go. Bef- before this, so I, I am, I'm like very, very, very happy. For well, what shift. is tax? What's the what's what's your tax season cutoff? So, well, I'm or... I'm jumping ahead a little bit. So uh, I think it's the 18th of April this year. Okay, so it's, it's like I, pretty much the same as ours. So yeah. I, I, yeah, it's is and and I am admittedly kind of ahead, but um, but that is because in a couple weeks I will be leaving for France, where my wife and right. I will be for yeah. uh, three weeks ish or so. So I just mm-hmm. wanted to get this like knocked off my to do list, so I don't have to rush, you know and I'd only Very have fair. like a, I'd only have like a week or so, you know, by the when I get back from France to do this. So I'm like, yeah. let's just get it done. Let's just it's it's a uh, it's a painful experience. I'd rather just have it out of the way than having to look yeah. forward to it. Very fair. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is not the tax podcast. This is not the tax but... <laughs> podcast. Thank goodness. Um, but yeah, we're going to be talking today about uh, your pick, which was yes. 1984's Amadeus. Amadeus. Um, Milos Forman. Milos Forman. Yeah. Uh, starring. Uh, Tom, I always am worried that I'm going to mispronounce his name. You're not. Uh, Tom Hulsh. 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 Tom Hulsh. I think it's Hulsh, yeah. yeah. Starring Tom Hulsh. Um, and, it's uh, one of those, it's, I mean, it's very clearly like an, an you know, a, a, a Anglo-Saxon But wait, wait, wait. Name, you but, can't just say you know. starring Tom Hulsh. I mean, oh, come on. And, you yes, have to course. put in F. F. Murray, Murray Abram. Abraham. Uh, Abraham. Who, I mean, come he Especially on. considering that he won the Oscar for it. Yeah. Well, they were both nominated, and he was he actually won. We're going to get to more of that, but his performance <laughs> is just, in my opinion, just outstanding in yes. this film. Yeah. Um, but You get uh, some good makeup <clears throat> on him, too. Yeah, some some, we'll a- aging effects. Yeah, we're gonna get to all of that, but yeah, like amazing makeup actually. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm a big fan of practical effects, you know, so it's no like deep fake here, actual real yeah. makeup. But well, I guess let, I guess I, I what I want to know first too is okay. like like because this was not that this is an unknown movie by any means, but not, yep. I was sort of an unexpected pick in terms of like ah. when you said this, I was I was did like, it surprise uh, you? I just was not really thinking. I have I. I don't know. I don't know why this this I, I was unexpected about you picking this movie. So yeah, what, what made I ex- you pick it? I expected that you would feel Be, yeah. that it was unexpected. <laughs> um, twisting the script on me. <laughs> well, well. So so let's break it down. So we have an early, we have a mid '80s film, and if you notice, a lot of the films that I've picked are, are kind of in this time zone. And the reason being is because this is when I was kind of you know coming into. You know, uh, the world of cinema, I was like old enough to start watching things. And, you know, the, the films that I saw between like, you know, eight to 12 to 15 or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, like profoundly impactful on me. Um, but I'll tell you, you know, why I picked this film. I mean, A, I think that it's a fantastic film. I think it does hold up. There are a lot of Academy Award winning films that don't hold up mm-hmm. i mean and yeah. and that's you know maybe we could do an episode you know one day on those because i think it's interesting to kind of analyze those films that won academy awards but you know really don't stand the test of time well I do even think... even look at the things that it was up against which is interesting because maybe one or two of them are are sort of known movies but the other ones really yeah aren't that famous it was up against the killing fields passage to india which was uh david lean yeah um, places in the hearts and a soldier's story um which was uh, and and how many of those films are are still yeah, regularly in, viewed in the, yeah don't think so kind of um, lexicon of yeah yeah so so but i think this film does hold up but mm-hmm. but the reason that i picked it is that this film means a lot to me personally and you know i guess what i mean when i say that is that you know, uh, for better or worse, uh, I can really, really, really relate to uh, what Salieri represents in this film, what he symbolizes, this longing for greatness. You know, it, um, it, and I think everybody to some extent or another has experienced this longing to be great. We've experienced, we've all experienced jealousy uh, in different ways in our life at different points. Hopefully we're not consumed by it like Salieri is. This is obviously Mm -hmm. a a really, you know, a hyper representation of, of this, but I mean, but, but that longing to be great and that, you know, to be so, 
I think this film just does such an extraordinary job of representing what it feels to want to be great at something yeah. and to recognize greatness and to be so deeply and profoundly moved by by greatness and and, and filled with jealousy too and and, and, and to be filled yeah. because it, i i mean i got it like i'm gonna admit more than maybe i should admit to in this podcast and get personal <laughs> here but look it i mean i have to tell you uh that it is it is uncommon for me like how, let me say this a different way when i experience what i consider to be profoundly moving great aesthetic awe-inducing works of art there is always alongside my experience of that aesthetic awe a little sliver of deep deep longing mm -hmm. um about wishing that i could make something that great mm -hmm. and yeah. and so this film to me better than any other work that i've ever experienced really just nails down that experience, which I have, you know, I wouldn't say regularly, but, you know, throughout my life I have had, and that's why I picked this film. That's why this film means something to me. Well, that's, uh, yeah, that's a very great assessment. <laughs> you're, of like, I mean. you're like, you're like, oh my God, this guy's, <laughs> this guy's got <laughs> <Sally> problems. <laughs> 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 no, but no, no, I mean, it, it's a totally, like, uh, I think universal kind of feeling. Yeah, um, for especially sure. for artists. Um, I think so. Where, yeah. where, you know, you'll see. I think. I think. I even even friends of mine when they make something that I think is is magnificent. I, it's not for me. It's it's less so an, an element of envy. But you know, you always kind it's of longing. get a little hard on yourself. Yeah, it's longing, um, right? Where where like you're kind of like and 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 perhaps I think the irony of it again and and when we were talking before, I kind of very briefly just brought up the idea of like imposter syndrome but perhaps the the reason for it is also just because you you know you obviously aren't going to recognize very rarely do people recognize their own talent absolutely and so like perhaps you know i have no idea maybe when i make something my friends have the exact same feeling that i have sure. um, yeah and because you see all the intricacies of your own work and but there's also a very real thing of, of recognition and how Salieri is very clearly uh, not recognized and yeah. not, you know, he, he envies not only to have the genius of, of but Mozart, to be but the recognition and, and the fame and the fortune. Yeah. Of, or not and I know what fortune, that's like. Because, you know, and I know what that's like, yeah. too. I mean, look, I'm, I'm the guy that at 30, whatever, 30 years of age or whatever it was, uh, I quit my successful career in the mm -hmm. corporate world and moved to Los Angeles to pursue acting. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and that was a, a profound experience. You know, that the years that I spent doing that had a huge impact on my life. But um, mm -hmm. but so I, I understand what that is too, you know. Uh, not just through that. I mean, I, we all, again, it's universal. I mean, I think all of us know what it is to want to be recognized, to, to want to be appreciated, to want to no, be accepted. Absolutely. Um, and I just think this film does an absolutely fantastic job of representing that. Um, and, and, and even though Salieri, it, you know, that those elements are, are heightened quite greatly in this yes. character, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's also still very sympathetic at least i think. oh absolutely yeah. I, I mean it, it, he appreciates the greatness of mozart unlike anyone else like nobody else well i think film. the brilliant thing about that though that the, that this movie really is that in any other movie salieri would be nothing more than the adversary but yes. the fact that this movie centers the story on him mm -hmm. makes him automatically much more sympathetic, which I think is a much more interesting choice. Absolutely. If well, this movie had not, if this movie did not have any of the, I mean, I say present day, it's not present day, but the the thing after Salieri's suicide attempt, where he's, you know, retelling this story um, to the priest, mm -hmm. if it if none of that was involved, Salieri would be nothing more than just the antagonist of the movie that kind of pops in and out and, well in a lesser and, film you know. you're definitely right exactly and, yeah. and i love i love you know that every element of this film i mean even the title is this ironic you know jab right yeah because because it, it should be titled salieri but it's not yes. it's yeah. titled amadeus or like it, salieri but, v mozart <laughs> but it is salieri's story absolutely yes. positively without any question it's his story and it's yeah you don't actually really get to know mozart that well in a like there's no. no there's nothing about you know everything that is 
told about Mozart's personal life prior is to what we see is Salieri. Salieri about his childhood, about all that. Um, 100%. You know, with very few exceptions, perhaps like maybe the the bits with Mozart's dad, but even that is still very observant. It's not necessarily you're never really getting this like long drawn out scene of Mozart monologuing about how he's you know he longs for his father's well, you even relationship hear, to be rekindled right? or whatever. You you I, I and of course the the film very clearly bookends right. It's like you talk about how it's you know literally it's Salieri telling this priest in an asylum um, about you know, tells the story that we see unfold before us. I mean, it's it's so mm-hmm. clearly from Salieri's point of view, and it's so clearly about him, um, which I think makes it great. And so it's 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 a, always a laugh to me that the film is named Amadeus because it's like just one more, like, jab <laughs> at mm-hmm. Salieri. It's like, ha-ha, Salieri, even in the movie that's really about you, it's going to be called Mozart. He's going to steal the title away from yes. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I just love it, but... I mean, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit because we kind of skipped over it. But I'm just curious, you know, kind of like what was your personal experience of the film? Um, did you see yeah. it when the film, came, you know, well, obviously you didn't see it in yeah, the no, 80s, yeah. but did you see it before? So I, it's it's my mom, I think it's my mom's favorite movie, um, uh-huh. I believe. Okay. I, I think it's because it, it's the one that she definitely talks about the most. And she like went to Vienna to see even when we were in Prague, which was because the movie shot in Prague, but set in Vienna. Um, and you know, she was always very excited when we were in Prague to see the locations from it and things like that. Um, but I, the first time I saw it, the first and only, as far as I know, the only, I don't think I've ever seen it since then, was probably, I was six or seven, I want to say. I was really, really young um, when I saw this movie on VHS, on the mm. when it was the two VHSs in Heck the box, yeah. because it was too long to fit on one VHS. Um, and I just remember, yeah, just knowing that like it, it was a movie that my mom really liked and thinking that at the time because i was so young not really understanding the you know in a way sort of satirical elements of it Mm -hmm. um that i just thought it was kind of a pretty straightforward historical drama and i remembered (laughs) it as such and so yeah um, i was kind of surprised this time to to watch it and see how in for lack of a better term lighthearted, how um you know comedic it is how much it pokes fun at all these these elements and and kind of is is not only utilizing Mozart as an, uh, a way to laugh at the the kind of common courtesy of the time of, of mannerisms and, and, you know, interrelationship and the way that you talk to people. It uses him to kind of, you know, placate like almost like a 20th or 21st century view on those customs mm-hmm. of just like super heightened, you know, politeness. Um, and that, that he very much is kind of like the audience's way in by just making all those things kind of a laughing stock. Mm. Um, but also the fact that it is very, very relatable and accessible in the way that it, it, you know, again, presents these elements in a very, through a lens of, of the modern day. Um, you know, it's not, it's not, in a, this is a movie that I love, Barry Lyndon. It's not Barry Lyndon. It's not presenting the, the film in a, in a very, very heightened artistic 17th or 18th century style um, it presents these things as, again, just kind of like a modern eye looking on them. And to me, that, that mm. is a really brilliant choice because it makes the film, it makes these characters much more understandable. It, you, you kind of understand their, their you know, uh, needs and desires and, and, and you're much more empathetic towards them because they don't seem like people in a painting. They seem like people that are, you know, existing in, in the real world, despite the fact that the movie is not accurate in the slightest in historical sense. Right. You know, with exception to perhaps like the very, very broad general details, it's not, you know, of course, Solieri and and Mozart did know each other and, you know, those elements are true, but, but they, you know, that the story itself, that the plot of the film is totally fictional. It's like a fan fiction. It's totally Um, fictionalized. And yeah, I mean, I, I would liken it to, uh, I mean, it's it's almost like a once upon a time in Hollywood or something. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the the location is real, the time is real. These there were people with these names that did exist, and the film definitely uses uh, both Salieri and Mozart's real music. And you know, all the almost all of these main characters, or I think all of the main characters, actually did really exist. But mm-hmm. the story that's told here is completely fiction. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I think you know, in in the research that I did which admittedly was limited, but, uh, and, you know, scholars understanding of these things is also limited, but I think, you know, this, this, um, 
that Salieri and Mozart actually coexisted, appreciated and respected each other for the most part. Um, you know, so this this whole thing is just dramatized, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Oh, I, I also think that we should mention just just briefly that we both watched this time the director's cut. And oh, not yeah. The, yes. The, um... and, and the director's cut. So, yeah, I mean, look, the 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 uh, theatrical release wasn't a short film. I think it was about two and a half hours long. Mm-hmm. Uh, this version adds 20 more minutes. And it's interesting to note, like, for example, if you were to go watch this on Netflix, or I think it, it was at one point, I'm not 100% sure if it's still up, but it's actually really difficult to find that theatrical version anymore. Yeah, I think, the, I think, I, I mean, as a kid, I'm sure I saw that. Yeah. I think the VHS was. And what's interesting, too, well, is it wasn't that the until VH, the early So 2000s. the original theatrical 161 minute version is PG, whereas this. The director's cut was rated R, and that's and that's because one of the uh, originally omitted scenes that has been added back um, actually has a bit of nudity in it. Yes, and yes. that's um, Elizabeth Barrage, who uh, plays uh, Constance Mozart, yeah. uh, is um, humiliated basically mm-hmm. um, by F. Murray Abrams Salieri, yeah. and he has her get naked in his room. Um, and so you know, then I might have seen nudity, the director's cut when I was a kid, because I I do remember at one point seeing, uh, I was like, again, like six years old. And Mm -hmm. when you see, you know, nudity at that age, it's like, yeah, blows your mind. Yeah. (laughs) So I think, I think I may have seen, again, I was so young then that it doesn't really matter either way, which I saw then because I, I hardly remember the movie, but, um, but yeah, it's... Um... I, I, I want to say that it was the early 2000s, for, and I could be completely wrong here, but I want to say like around 2002-ish or something when the DVD was released. Yeah, 2002 I, was the director's cut. Okay, so, okay. So yeah, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I'd have to... I'm sure I still have the VHS somewhere at my mom's place. Well, I can memories check, but, are so inaccurate. Yeah. It's, you know, who knows? You may have seen the original version and then you may have followed that up by seeing the director's cut and then yeah. maybe you merge yeah. those two in your mind. But... But that is one of the, you know, and I, I, I do think that the director's cut, I think the scenes that they add back in are actually really helpful. And that scene that we just discussed, I don't want to digress too much here, but is important because it actually kind of helps bolster the ending of the film. When mm-hmm. she walks in on Salieri asleep uh, and uh, Mozart is uh, dead, mm-hmm. um, the, the, this humiliation that she experienced in front of him when she takes the score away and locks it away kind of foiling his final plan which was to actually claim that uh piece as of his own as his yeah. own um, which and there is actually weirdly enough there is an element of again truth to that not in the way that it was Solieri's right. plan to steal it but that that mozart died while writing the requiem and it was right. finished by contemporaries yeah um but but so it there was are not, these little kernels yeah, yeah there's these but it's like kernels. that's what i think is is a great way to make a movie like this which is like just use it's kind of like you know it's it's like adapting source material from a book um where you you can choose you know elements that work in film that work better in film and adapt those to a different medium it doesn't really matter the accuracy to you know whatever novel it is that's being you know adapted i know some people are the opposite where it's like accuracy is all they care about but i've always felt that 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 you know who cares about accuracy? What matters is is getting an idea out and and well, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the film is not a biography to... of Amadeus. It's yeah. it's about. I mean, again, in my mind, it's about a longing for greatness. Um, yes, yeah. And uh, you know, we've talked about this before that fact doesn't equal truth. You know, or truth doesn't equal fact. Yeah. Um, yeah. That there is an aesthetic truth that's much more important than an accountant's truth, mm-hmm. and and I think that absolutely is more effective. Um, in works of art than just trying to stick to some kind of accountant's truth. Um, yeah. Of fa- you know, even within documentary films, I don't think that that works. Um, totally. Yeah, and, yeah. and I think I mean, films yeah. that try, you know, especially with biopic films, and there's been a lot recently, biopic films that try, I, I just, I, I never like them. I very rarely like biopic films that, that try to kind of represent things historically accurate. And, you know, I, 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 it just, they always come off to me as, as dry and... Well, I think the other issue is that they, never, they very usually. rarely say anything beyond this was the life of the person. Yeah, like, look Whereas, how great this person you know, was is usually you, what it is. If you distill, and, and, and again, I kind of I kind of relate this film to, to, which is another previous movie that we just did, Ed Wood, um, in that the portrayal of these 
these artists is much more in line with their art as opposed to what they actually were like yeah. in real life. Like in, in Ed Wood, how, how Johnny Depp is portraying Ed Wood like he is a character in his movie, like <laughs> like he's a representation of the way that he made movies. And yeah. you know, this, the portrayal of Mozart as this this very kind of like manic character is much in line with the way that his music sounds like that his music is so energetic and, and like very lifelike and full of life, which I'm sure at the time, like one of the reasons that his movie music was probably lauded when he was alive was because it was so different from, from the way that people were writing music then. And, and because it was so, you know, energetic and we now may look back on that and go, well, that's just classical music. It's boring or whatever. But I think that, you know, I'm someone who really likes a lot of classical music. I think if you compare that to contemporary music at the time, yeah, he he would have been like a, a force to reckon with in terms mm. of like everyone was like, God, it would be like someone in, in the 50s inventing, you know, not by a comparison of quality, but it would be like someone in the 50s inventing like techno. Like it, it was like suddenly this, this you know, lifelike force of, of nature came on. So I think that the way that they choose to portray him as a, as a, as again, very much so a force of nature, this person who is the center of attention in every room that he's in, um, who's like crass and, uh, you know, jokes around. And there is, there's, again, there is some truth there that he, he apparently did have a very juvenile sense of humor. Like there are letters from him to his father where he says like, kish mein arsch or something and mm -hmm. would love to play jokes on people like that. And apparently was very humorous, but, but all that stuff is just exaggerated to portray an idea much more so than to portray an accurate, you know, representation of what it, what life was like for Mozart in his day to day or Salieri or, you know, any of the people in this movie. Well, I think that it, and also if you look at Milos's other work, some of his other work, it, I, I think it's pretty clear that he's interested in outsiders yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, another one of my favorite films, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, he directed in 1975. Mm -hmm. uh, clearly, that film was about an outsider or actually a group, a full group of outsiders. Yeah. But um, also an outsider within a group of outsiders. And, and yes, an outsider within. The, the yeah. On, in terms of that. Yeah. I think this film, you know, Mozart is clearly presented as an outsider here. Um, uh, People versus Larry Flint. Larry Flint is presented as an outsider. Man on the Moon. Andy Kaufman, uh, played mm -hmm. by Jim Carrey, you know, clearly an outsider there. So these, you know, these rebels, these outsiders, these renegades, it's clearly something that Milos is interested in. And, um, you know, using these, uh, aside from um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, you know, using real people who really existed. And certainly there's a kernel of that renegadeness, that exceptionalism, that outsiderness, you know, did really exist. But taking that kernel and really, you know, dramatizing that and, you know, fictionalizing that and emphasizing that in these films is definitely a theme here. And Milos is fantastic at it. Mm -hmm. um, and all those films and, that and, I listed And perhaps it's also great. an advantage of, of, of taking a, a something from stage. And I want to get into this later, too, because stylistically, I think one of the great things about this movie is that it does what a lot of stage adaptations, film adaptations of a stage play... I oh yeah, so don't let's just do... real quick. Yeah, so oh, Peter yeah, sure. Schaefer. Yeah, so just a little background. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the Yeah, writing. yeah, yeah. So, so, so Peter Schaefer's yep. the wrote, wrote the screenplay but also wrote the play Amadeus, which And it was it was a very is, successful uh, play. It ran yeah. for a, I think over a thousand uh productions on Broadway. It just interesting. Had some very big names in it. Tim yeah, Curry. Yeah, Ian McKellen was Salieri, Tim um, Curry was Mozart, other Mark, actors. Mark Hamill also apparently was Mozart at one point, which I think would be very interesting to see. A lot of actors <laughs> rotated through because it did run yeah. so long. Uh, so, but yeah, I mean, so a very successful play, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, you know, this is not the first time that Milos has adapted a play for a successful film, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, mm -hmm. likewise, Kirk Hair. Douglas led that production, Hair is another film. Yeah. Ragtime, which is sort of the opposite, Ragtime was a book, then the movie, then the, the <laughs> then musical, State. which yeah, yeah. I was, I was actually in Ragtime in the musical, but. Oh, we gotta um, get some footage of that. Oh, I've got some, I've got Post the a link to YouTube in the uh, comments. <laughs> but, um. <laughs> You're but like, no, no. I think, change the subject I, I, I real think fast. That there's. There's such a, uh, oftentimes when, when a stage play is being adapted, that there is a tendency to almost represent the film as a stage, like there's like a, a lot of carryover of style. And, and while there is a lot of, you know, drawn out, extended 
you know, takes in this film where people are, are very much performing. And there's also literal stage productions in the play. Uh, uh, I think yeah. that this movie does what does Milos, uh, Milos does is very smart, which is to adapt that into cinematic language. Um, and, but the other advantage I think of taking something like this from a play is that I find, and, and you know, I, I, I think that this is a really interesting part about live theater is that it's often a lot easier to to get away with in an audience's perception inaccuracies that that live theater very often plays up you know these inaccuracies for fun and heightens these kind of and so like you can very much get a sense of this being based off of a a a stage play because of the idea of this rivalry between um Soliere and Mozart and playing that up and making a story around that very much to me it's kind of screams something that's very theatrical. Mm. Um, and I feel like you would almost get more, not necessarily flack, but you would have more complaints about it had that not initially come from the the stage play. Because I think that there are a lot of pedants in terms of cinema that when something is not necessarily super accurate in a, in, in the context of, of a movie, that mm. they can kind of complain. Like there's, all, there's, there's always these conversations about like the accuracy of this or that, or, you know, articles are written about like how accurate, how historically accurate is this? You don't really get stuff like that. That's, that's really, um, about like, I think people are a lot more accepting of, of heightened theatricality on the stage. That's um, interesting. That's an interesting thought. And, and, you know, and of course, you know, both the, well, you didn't exist. You, you weren't even alive mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I was very young. And so I don't even, you know, I don't know if that was ever something that the media harped on or, or discussed about Amadeus. Of course, when this film was released, you didn't have throngs of internet experts. Um, yes. People, yeah, 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 wacky, yeah. wacky people doing podcasts people like us or people on Reddit and blogs and all these things. So, you know, there were, a, there was a lot less, uh, conversation in that sense. There was a lot of like yeah. water cooler conversation. There was a lot of, you know, actually more so I think than today. Cause I think that films like this were much more cultural, you know, touchstones than they are today. Um, mm -hmm. But as far as like in the media, you know, I, I would be curious to see if that was ever something that was brought up in, in what little bit of criticism of the not, not criticism in a negative sense, but I just mean, you know, uh, criticism as in just like film critics writing yeah, yeah. that I read about this film. I didn't see anybody mention anything mm -hmm. about the historical no, accuracy exactly. yeah, of this yeah. film. And, and that's interesting because it's you're right. I do get a sense that when these kinds of films are released today, there is often a conversation about the historical accuracy of it. And that's mm -hmm. an interesting hypothesis. And if for no other reason than exactly like you said, where it's like it's it's a clickbaity headline that people yeah. will click yeah, on Facebook Yeah, maybe that's of like, maybe that's the explanation. Yeah. But it's but but that's an interesting hypothesis that you bring up, which is that, you know, it's long successful theatrical run. I wonder if that did have an impact on mm -hmm. its acceptance, you know. Well, because I also I wonder, you know, so often when things are and again, I wasn't around when this was uh, you know made um right. nor was i around obviously when the stage play was going on i wonder how you know what was it because you can have things that were massive on stage today that are adapted into movies and so many people don't realize that they were stage plays right um so i wonder how common how how common the knowledge was that it was first day stage play i guess the opening credits do say based on the stage play by <laughs> that does um, give it away yeah <laughs> so but i mean even so like you know people just don't sometimes pay don't even pay attention to that. So yeah. I wonder if, um, yeah, and, and it's, it's just sort of like an interesting kind of thing about like the cultural idea of, of like accuracy in things. And I, yeah, that's an, I don't that, have that's, a, I don't have a set yeah, answer on no, it. No, it's, it's just an interesting, interesting question. And it's yeah. an interesting observation. Um, mm -hmm. cause I do, I do think it's important. Uh, and again, I think there is this, you know, this, this kind of fundamental artistic question, which is, you know, fact versus truth. Yeah, and yeah. that's what that speaks to. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm curious, you know, like what your thoughts are, because I know that you're you you often approach a film from a very like kind of cinematographic. That's not a word. Yeah, that's sort from of a visual. Like visual. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on the cinematography of this film. I mean, in my mind, it's it's pretty simply shot. It's yes. shot anamorphic, which I like. But I know you've got some thoughts. I want to hear what yeah, you think so about I, that. Yeah, so I think yeah. that the movie looks really good. I mean, it's yeah. it's 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 well, not it's, it's beautifully production design. The production designs that production designs brilliant. Costumes. Um, I think are I think even you know I think that even the 
this is one of those instances where I'm like, the, I think that the cinematography looks really good, but I disagree with with the choice being made. Which yeah, is, I'm curious. Which is that yeah, it's shot, that. so it's shot on anamorphic. Yeah. And to me, um, aspect ratio and things like that matter so much in in of course, and I'm sure you you would agree. And and you know, it's a very Definitely. common conversation about like the 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 context of the story. What you know that something as simple as aspect ratio matters yeah. so much. Yeah. And and you know, the choice of lenses. And to, so to me, anamorphic lenses are, are a very modern, um, you know, modern in the grand scheme of things, uh, choice. And, you know, if you think of, of anamorphic and just in case, you know, somebody doesn't, isn't quite familiar with the term, an anamorphic lens is basically what is used to shoot like a widescreen movie. So in the background, you'll notice that the, the out of focus areas are, are a little bit more ovular and it squeezes the image and there's a lot of technical sides, but basically it's widescreen. It's, it's, it's a, you know, and you get like, you generally like when, like if you're just a viewer and you're like, without getting into technical stuff, what mm -hmm. that kind of like matter of factly means is that you'll see, like if you've ever seen a uh, Die Hard. And you mm -hmm. see those like the flares that like, are like blue flares. Yeah, the horizontal kinda, streak flares. Horizontally yeah. streak out. That's yeah. you, that's a sign of an anamorphic lens. And, you'll also and anamorphic. See, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say you'll also generally see like a softening of focus around the edges of the yeah. frame. That's yeah, usually, and really a lot of like barrel distortion. Barrel distortion. Like, you know, yep. the edges aren't necessarily straight lines. There's kind of like a distortion on them. Right. Um, and so that was used so much during the '70s, and they kind of came about in the. 50s but they really you know took off in their use in the late 60s 70s and 80s and kind right. of became almost like a staple of like blockbuster action cinema right um and you know for to me i think that that a choice like that doesn't really match the subject matter mostly because of the fact that i think that you know you can make such a powerful choice with what just simply what lenses you're choosing to shoot on um in that like the way that i the way that that culture thinks back on you know, the 1700s, the 1800s, um, so on and so forth, is is only through paintings. You know, photography was only really coming about in the 1800s. Yeah. Um, you know, all the, po everything we see of Mozart or, or of his life or of that time is paintings. Right. And so I think that using something that is so, uh, like a, anamorphic, which is so linked to cinema, so yeah. linked to well, it's like, artifacts. There's not really anything else like it. Even photography is so. There are people who do anamorphic photography, but it's very rare. It's much right. more of a kind of like a a thing to do versus like a, a gimmick almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that to me, the choice to shoot this anamorphic was doesn't really not again not that it looks bad in any way, but doesn't really match up with the subject matter. It doesn't really do anything to me to bring me into the world of this movie. I think that if this movie was shot spherically, um, that you would get a much more painterly kind of style so, out of it, that it would match the subject matter, it would match the production design. So to make to sure I more. understand what you're saying, like, so in your mind, what you're, if I'm understanding you correctly, is that you you kind of feel like the Lynch choice is anachronistic to the yeah subject basically mm -hmm. it's like you're saying that since our only representations of this era are through paintings mm -hmm. to use something so specific and and uh that and that introduces artifacts that are unique to the technology of mm -hmm. cinema that you feel like that's you know when the choice could have been made to use a spherical lens which would have much less obvious or unique yeah, like artifacting. cinematic artifacting. Yeah. yeah, so you feel like that would have been a more a, a more appropriate kind yeah. of I mean, I to think the era. There's, there's sort of two kind of comparisons I can make too. One of them is like, uh, for example, Coppola decided not to use any zoom lenses on The Godfather because mm -hmm. zoom lenses weren't around in the, in the era that the movie is set. Mm -hmm. And so he made a specific choice that he wanted to shoot it, you know, spherically because also anamorphic wasn't thing then it was came out in the 50s mm. um so he made a choice to shoot spherically on only primes so that oh, the yeah. the language of the lenses matched the era spielberg chose to shoot schindler's list in black and white primarily black and white of course the modern day stuff is is colored but um chose to shoot that in black and white because you know his decision on that was that the the footage that you see of that the photos that you see of the events of the holocaust are black and white and so it brings you into this world not that there obviously haven't been movies made about World War II and stuff that are not anamorphic or, you know, there are plenty of anamorphic World War II movies. There are plenty of color World War II movies. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I think that it's one of those things where you, you, you know, when you're thinking about these choices, I think that it's, again, it's one of those examples where it's like, I think the movie looks great, Amadeus. I think it looks really, really fantastic. I just would have made a different decision if I was, sure. you know, in that chair at that time, which I'm not yeah. going to pretend that I could make a movie as great as Am Amadeus, but <laughs> if I were to, you know, have made this movie <laughs> in some... You would have made a different choice. Random and world, I would have, yeah, I would have made the... The choice I mean, I mean that's yeah. it's an interesting it's an interesting way to look at it for sure. And I think you mm -hmm. know just to, to play a little bit of a devil's advocate, I feel like um, I think it, it's it's perfectly in line with the spirit of the film, which you know the subject matter itself is totally fictionalized, mm -hmm. um, and you have such a modernization of language. Clearly, people did not speak this way, nor oh, yes, yeah. nor are their or accents in American accents yeah. even remotely appropriate, right? Yeah. Um, so there's a tremendous amount of poetic license there. Um, and, uh, I, and I, I feel like the, uh, anamorphic lenses, I think they look beautiful, but I also think beyond that they're beneficial because you have so many scenes, uh, that take place, these performances, these huge, uh, scenes that take place in these opera houses, in these theaters. Mm -hmm. And there's just so much going on. There's these, you know, elaborate costumes and huge high wigs and chandeliers and you know it's just that the the frame is just filled with so much data and i think the benefit of the anamorphic lens in this situation where it kind of brings some of those more peripheral uh you know visual uh, contents a little bit out of focus mm -hmm. i think it actually helps kind of bring your eye to the to the subject matter and that's important Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's, it helps a little bit, you know, guiding yeah, the eye, yeah. um, and kind of keeping you from being so overwhelmed and because some of these set, and there's a lot of, we haven't talked about music yet, but there's, you know, there's an extended, like at length, long musical performances that are captured mm -hmm. here. You know, I mean, it's where the camera is almost, you know, it's like, as if, you know, it's like, like the earliest of films where basically the camera was just sat in, you know, where an audience would sit in a theater and we see the whole stage, and, yeah. and it just plays out before us. There's a little bit of that going on. Obviously, we have editing, and, and I mean, I'm not saying it's to that extreme. We definitely do have different angles, and, uh, and the camera's moving around a bit. But uh, there are, you know, there's a lot of that in here. There's a lot of extended performance. Um, yeah. yeah. Of course, I mean, my goodness, you know, uh, <laughs> like what a, what a, like, embarrassment of riches to have Mozart's music to draw from, right? Uh, oh god yeah for yeah. the i mean I, it, clearly the film benefits greatly from having mozart's music um as its soundtrack and i think you know one of the things that i really do love about this film and i actually think that uh i would just kind of compare just for a second what was that movie with um gary oldman about beethoven beloved i think it was oh I don't know if yeah. you've seen the film, but I, I was just going to say that this film, like Beloved, I think does does one thing really well, and that is that it... Immortal Beloved. Yeah. Immortal Beloved. That's it. Thank you yeah. so much. That And I don't think that film is anywhere near as good as this film, but but one of the things both films, I think, does really well is, is really effectively imparts this absolute, like, uh, appreciation of the beauty of music to the audience. I mean... Mm -hmm. Like, you know, through Salieri, when we uh, see him reading these scores and then the music that he's that he's reading, you know, it, it we start to hear it, you know, in the in the score of the film. And it's just, you know, watching uh, F. Murray's performance and listening to this music. It's like, I mean, geez. I, and, you know, I think even if, if, if you're not a music fan, you can't help but to be moved, you know. Yeah. Um, well, and I, I think one of the most brilliant things that they do is the rewrite of Salieri's, um, like, entry march. And I think that what uh, that does yeah. is it brings somebody who may not have any interest in classical music or, or you know, be in any way interested in the distinction between or what educate, Mozart was yep. doing versus his, his contemporararies. It it's immediately brilliant. shows, you know, you've got Salieri's music that sounds quite typical of classical music at the time yeah and then it and then to offset that and to kind of prove to you how groundbreaking mozart was for the time they he he rewrites it and then you no, hear you're how right. much more energetic and and you know how much more functional and 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 well interesting how, a, a lay person Mozart's. can yeah you, i yeah. think you're no that's a brilliant that's a brilliant uh, observation they do this right off the bat in the in nearly the very beginning of the film and so it's you know hey if you are unfamiliar uh with mozart 
if you are unfamiliar, which of course most people would be with Salieri, if you're if you're a total layperson, if you don't have really any education in classical music, you're right. They they mm -hmm. lay this out so that anybody can see, you know, the difference. And it may be a little unfair to Salieri this example they use, um, but you know, it's a super super simple, uh, you know, kind of march or kind of you know introduction piece of music. <laughs> and then yeah, once Mozart gets his hands on it, you know, it's yeah. there's all this flourish and fun, and it goes from a stiff stodgy piece of music that's not very interesting at all to this, you know, fun uh, piece of music with personality and joy in it. So you're right. They do a great job of using music to to color character and illustrate the contrast between the two characters right off the bat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly, you know, it's also, I think, when you see the, the reactions of, um, I'm forgetting who is who like who is the first guy that Mozart um is working for who's the original guy that he that he kind of leaves to work for the oh, emperor well, well the holy I, roman emperor i'm trying to gosh you know now now you're going to put me to task here if i think i yeah, understand yeah i can't, I can't remember the character so he's but essentially well, he's pope. working for this other man at the beginning wasn't it the and pope? i i like the 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 idea that you've got all these people who um kind of despise him as a person but want him there for his talent like that refuse to to get rid of him simply because of his talent and that Salieri cannot stand that but also totally understands it and that he is also one of those people mm -hmm. you know Salieri is, is is in every way sitting there admiring every time he sees Mozart's music and, and is 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 going nuts about it um and you know just when he's reading the the papers that that uh Constance brings him and he drops them and he says, you know, it's magnificent and all this, um, that you've just got this completely, I think, empathetic approach to the character, which is that, like, yeah, he seemed like he was a total pain in the ass. And again, that's not the, the historically necessarily accurate version, but, but in terms of the context of the movie that you're sitting there like, this guy would have been, you know, very annoying to have around. And yet it does such a great job, the film, of, of presenting him because every time the music plays, the, the movie focuses on the music, the movie focuses on his music. Yeah. And so not only do the people in the film forget that he is, you know, difficult to deal with for those, you know, 10 minutes of music that's playing, but, but the audience also just kind of is brought into that world as well, because you're kind of sitting there going, oh yeah, this guy was, you know, a brilliant musician um, and you know, composer. Um, but I, I do, I do like that, that, that you've got, you know, it's not necessarily a huge part of the movie, um, but you do see this idea that like these these higher ups, these kings, these emperors, etc., put up with the you know kind of brazen back talking and and you know rudeness and lack of etiquette from him simply because of the fact that they they admired his work so much and and there's this kind of a funny little like almost father son relationship with any figure of authority in this movie where he has you know mozart has no issue talking back to to royalty and talking back to the holy roman emperor himself um and you know i think it just makes again the movie a lot more accessible and weirdly makes the character of mozart in this movie much more um you know the movie is does a very good job of making you empathetic of each character which I think is is you know often tough to do in in a in a period piece like this. I I you know one of the things talking about music and and I think what an what an integral I mean duh obviously but how well it's used here is I think you know near the end of the film you know there's like big chunks of this film where not much else is going on and if it weren't yes yeah. and, and there's this beautiful interplay of the discussion of the music. And then the music coming in. And I think this, you know, the scene where uh, Mozart is in bed ill mm -hmm. and uh, Salieri is taking dictation and helping him write the music that he's hearing. You know, if you if you just kind of almost were to if you were to watch it without the sound on, you would see that there's this long stretch of time where you've just got a character in bed and a character sitting next to him. And we just go back and forth. And, you know, considering it's a film, it's moving pictures. You know, there's mm -hmm. not a lot being told, not, not a lot of story being told visually. 
but the music sure does come in and, and do a lot of heavy lifting and really does it well. Uh, and this beautiful interplay, you know, with Schaefer's script and the writing, I mean, I can imagine, I would just imagine as an actor, if you were to get the script and you're looking at the scene and, you know, and, and all the dialogue is like, you know, it's just this, this kind of music lingo, which is like, okay, you know, start on a minor, a minor. Yeah. A mm -hmm. minor, of course. Okay. Then go to D. You know, I mean, it's, you know what I mean? If you were to read it on the page, right? <laughs> it it's would like, be, yeah, yeah. There's hardly anything there. Um, but, but when, but it's again, and, you know, a big part of this, of course, is this both actors' performances are outstanding. Mm -hmm. um, the use of music. But, but that's, yeah. And that yeah. use, and, and so that we can hear, we're actually like, it's illustrating to us, okay, what are they talking about? And it's kind of this fun little thing of, getting to be almost, you know, in the room as Mozart is writing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I can't read music. I would imagine that most people, most audience would not be able to to read music or understand most of what they would be talking about. This is the terminology, yeah. The terminology, which of course they keep it very simple, but nonetheless, mm -hmm. I mean, we wouldn't be able to actually hear what they're talking about. So mm -hmm. it's just, I mean, it's 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 just a super effective way to use the music in the film, and it, it does it numerous mm -hmm. times. And whether it's building character or, it's one uh, of those kind of like ingenious things because it's very simple. It's a very simple choice. Yeah, but it just works so well. That well, it, I mean, yeah. in the hands of these performers too. I mean, I yes, you know yeah. we touched on it, but God, I just want to. I mean, look, I think everybody's good in the film, but F. Murray mm -hmm. Abraham is just knocks it out of the park. Mm -hmm. um, I, in, he plays what, disdain like no other. <laughs> I mean, he really knocks it out of the park, and it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, in I can't you know I can't remember if this was the commentary or there's like a little. Um, like making of documentary. I think it's actually in the making of documentary that's on the Blu-ray for this film. Um, where, and I'm kind of surprised that, that Milo said this cause it, you know, you could potentially take this as a little bit insulting, but he talks about how he felt like, uh, F Murray Abraham would be the ideal actor for this role. I mean, not only, of course he's a great actor. Yes. Mm -hmm. But he was like, he said that he felt like, F. Murray Abraham actually had these qualities that he kind of was right. Salieri-like, yeah. that he, you know, was kind of full of ego and pride and kind of approached his, you know, that kind of embodied some of these things that, that Milos wanted Salieri to represent in this film. And I'm mm -hmm. kind of surprised he said that out loud. Yeah, that's <laughs> in the, funny. You know, in yeah, the yeah. documentary, because it's like you you very rarely ever hear, you know, because it'd be easy to take that in a derogatory way, yes. you know. Yeah. Uh, so I was a little taken aback that he said that. But it makes sense. And I think it, you can kind of see that, I think. You know, obviously, I don't know F. Murray Abraham, but I can certainly imagine um, I mean, having recognized that in myself, you know, and in so many artists, I could completely see how that could be just a trait that's inherent in that actor. Um, mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, and Milos pulled that out of him even further in the performance. But I, I mean, I really just think, you know, is there, is there anything in the, the, the director's commentary about um, their relationship, the, the um, two leads relationship during production? Um, uh, you know, not, I, not that I recall, not anything specific, uh, except, except this. You know, um, so as we could kind of previously discussed, you know, uh, F. Mary Abraham, uh, they they shot all of the stuff where he's older and he's in the uh, asylum after his suicide attempt. Mm -hmm. And they shot all that first over okay, the over the first couple, two, three weeks. And, yeah. you know, that that allowed them to kind of set up logistics for other things while they were shooting. So they mm -hmm. did that first. And so I think they kind of talked a little bit about how that that kind of isolated him a little bit from, mm -hmm. you know, the rest of the production. He wasn't, you know, working with Mozart, he, you know, or with, you know, Tom, uh, the performer playing Mozart. So I think, you know, there probably was a little bit of that isolation or kind of, you know, that, that probably did lend itself a little bit to the, you know, the, the, the like conflict or butting heads that might've existed on, on camera, you know, mm -hmm. um, but but other than that, they didn't really go into too much detail. But um, I, I just God, I mean, I feel like that. I mean, as somebody who who has has acted before, and I, I'm a big fan. I can only imagine having this role and yeah. how ju juicy yeah. all those monologues were. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and can you and, imagine and all the? I mean, again, even all just like the points where you just act visually you know, the points where he's just like a tertiary element of a scene and he's just standing 
you know, I'm thinking all the moments when when Omar uh, Omar Mozart is talking. <laughs> Omar um, Omar, yeah. Um, are you trying to speak backwards? Are you trying that. to speak backwards <laughs> yeah. like Mo- like uh, like in the film? Yes, exactly. When yeah. Um, but when they're, when they're having that conversation with the emperor, when, when Mozart's kind of introduced and that, that Solieri is very much just kind of like a tertiary element, but you still, there's so much energy coming from him and you can feel like every choice that he's making is, 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 you know, so present and so clear, which is, I think a really tough thing to do, to be sort of part of an ensemble in a scene and still play up the elements that you want to play up and have them come across clearly. Uh, but he does it super well. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's great in the film, and you know, yeah. F. Murray yeah. Abraham definitely gets the biggest, you know, I think chunk of praise. But Tom Hulse is really wonderful too. And I'm honestly, mm-hmm. I'm a little bit surprised. I mean, and I guess you had talked about how he kind of made a shift from uh, acting to producing and directing for the stage, where he has actually had a, a ton of success. I mean, he's been uh, nominated or, or won uh, several Tony Awards and Drama Desk Awards. Uh, yes. So he's yeah. definitely been successful on the stage, you know, as a producer, director. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I was almost surprised. You know, I think I, re- I remember even as a kid wondering, like, why am I not seeing movies with this guy in it? Yeah, because you know, I thought he did such a great job. And, and to have, a, you know, the the title role in and such a hugely critically and commercially successful film, I was a little bit surprised. Yeah, that I didn't yeah, see and, more and of him to be nominated and and you know, so yeah, but he he chose to retire. So yeah, interesting. From acting, at least yeah. yeah, interesting. I would be curious to kind of ask him or, or wonder why what went down with that. Um, well, I mean, I guess I mean it could just be a per like that. For example, I I always enjoyed acting as well, but I have not really much desire to to do it as a career. Um, could be you know, even though I I really enjoyed it and. Maybe he um, was just longing for greatness, like Salieri. Exactly. Just felt he could. <laughs> yeah, he fit in perfectly. Life imitates art. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Life definitely does. Or maybe it was the loss. Yeah, it was the loss of the Academy Award to Salieri. And he, I mean, that had to be. The roles were reversed. <laughs> yeah, I guess, in kind of a final irony there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was probably difficult. I would imagine, you know, for a film where so many other people are winning in their positions to. Mm-hmm. To have a best picture and 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 then to well, not... I wonder how many times has that happened where Boy, you I have don't... two best picture two... without a best actor or well or, now, or remember two though, lead actors from well the, the movie. yeah that's what I was gonna say yeah. so he didn't win but that was because he lost to you know the film was kind mm-hmm. of competing against itself in yeah because I mean because of course something very often is there a best actor best supporting actor best actress best supporting actors from the same movie but very rarely are there two best actor yeah exactly yeah from i I, I would imagine that is rare i don't know the answer to that but i would imagine yeah. that that has not happened too often yeah uh, that's got to feel weird i guess that that's kind of a continuation you know like you said uh, art and life it's uh like the the competition that existed in the film between the characters kind of actually ended up existing in real life uh between yeah. the actors and this time Salieri wins out. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess on that note, we'll wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, but I've enjoyed talking about Amadeus with you, mm-hmm. sir. It's been a lot of fun, yeah. It's been a lot of fun, and I hope everybody out there, you enjoyed listening to it as well. Uh, we wish you a most wonderful couple weeks. Until next time, we'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.